On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. You're listening to Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer-fueled sports show. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Here's your host. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Matt Robinson. Two thousand twenty-two in session on the Tall Can Audio podcast. We are off and running again. My name is Matt Robinson, as the good woman said. Welcome back into an all-new episode of the podcast. We kick off another work week, another year, another slog. Probably, we'll see what's going to happen here as we move forward. Uh, coming to you from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Off and running again. This is a stripped-down edition of the podcast, an Antonio Brown edition of the podcast, if we uh, could go so far, formerly of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Looks like that's probably come to an end. Just me here today. A little bit of confusion, plus a little bit of technical difficulties, a lot going on. Uh, We'll get into that in just a second, but not sure you caught exactly what went down there towards the end of the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers-New York Jets game. Uh, Antonio Brown, a little bit of a meltdown, meltdown Brown, not quite the same as downtown Brown, but I, I, I like it. I do enjoy that. I, I think it could stick. I think it could work. Uh, probably something people had come to quite a while ago, given the history of this guy over the last little while. Not sure why Tom Brady put his neck out to, uh, to risk bringing him into Tampa. Obviously didn't work. Uh, the coaching staff there said he's, uh, he's done with, uh, with the Buccaneers. So, uh, we'll see where that all goes, but, um, Look, it's real simple. We had something pre-recorded, already done, ready to drop for you guys on this uh, Monday morning edition of the podcast. And I uh, got back in the studio here and went to ring it up and no go. Um, some sort of uh, file corruption error that has happened once before. Back over the summer when I was trying to do things remotely from the cottage, you may be noticing a trend there. Uh, and it's just something in the way that I'm I'm doing something wrong um, as it pertains to trying to dial back into the studio and get things queued up. We did run some pre-recorded stuff through the holidays and uh, had no issues. Not sure why this one is uh, is proving to be a problem. And with that in mind, this late on the uh, on the Sunday um, was going to be unfair or unfeasible to try and get anybody else dialed in. So here we are. 
But uh, no worries at all. We got lots to get to here today. Lots we can cover. Uh, and we always start in the same place. I guess just before we do, make sure you're following along on uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio. We've had some cool stuff up there throughout the holidays, uh, mainly as it pertains to the beers we've been trying, but not just that. So uh, if you're a social media person at all and you're not following along yet, you can do so at Tall Can Audio. Wherever you're listening right now, we are on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Pods, all that stuff. Anywhere where you can get your podcast, uh, you'll find us there. We'd love it if you'd hit follow, hit subscribe, and uh, really give us a boost there. And last thing on that, Spotify, much like Apple Podcasts, has now implemented uh, star ratings. No written reviews yet, that's fine. A lot of people don't like to be bothered with that. But uh, there's star ratings there. So if you are on Spotify and that's where you happen to be hearing us, we'd love it if you'd take just a second and give us a star rating there, preferably a good one, but I have no control over that. Maybe maybe you don't feel like that's where we're at, but we'd love it if at all you would just take the time, leave us a star rating there on Spotify. Uh, Helps us move up, helps us get discovered. If I'm being honest, we had a hell of a time in 2021 building an audience on Spotify. And part of that was a glitch that went down and Spotify admitted it was their issue. Um, when they started adding podcasts to the service, um, we uploaded our show and they put us in the tech category. And so we're not found there. Like I'm not opposed to talking about tech, but that's not really our focus, right? That's not what we're about. Um, and it's certainly not where I would expect people to look for our, a show like ours and, 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 and vice versa, right? If you're looking for a good tech show and you log in, you hear just people talking about sports and craft beer, you're probably not sticking around. So we had a tough time getting noticed on Spotify and it was because we were in that wrong category. And at the very end of the year there, sometime in mid-December, they finally moved us over into the sports category. So I'm optimistic we'll be able to build up our audience there a little bit more, but it helps when you get those good star ratings, right? Spotify takes notice, the rankings take notice. And so if you did somehow miraculously find us on Spotify, uh, and that's where you're getting us, it would help us out a great deal. If you take a second, leave a star rating there. Uh, the craft beer of the day. This is one I've had before, and actually pretty recently, uh, it was in the calendar. And I think that's part of the reason that a lot of these breweries do the calendar, right? Is to get noticed, get their stuff out there. And it's worked before on me, especially. Um, you know, you find something in there that you really enjoy, uh, and people will come get it. People will come find it. They don't just go, oh, that was good, and then forget about it completely. Um, so somewhere mid midway through December, running that calendar, uh, we stumbled across uh, basically a full week of dark beers. But one that I really enjoyed was the Mocha Stout from the Perth Brewing Company. And uh, I've honestly, I've been sort of hot and cold on some of their stuff. They have some stuff I really enjoy, some that I, yeah, you know, you can take it or leave it. But this was fantastic. And I was texting with my dad, who was also doing the calendar, and he loved it too, like thought it was great. And so when we were heading down and I was going to be spending Christmas with my parents, we made a stop at the Perth Brewery and bought a bunch more of it. Um, You know, something that we could work through throughout the holidays. And it's actually... Uh, it's not really a setup at the Perth Brewery where you're supposed to go in and hang out. Like it's, I'm, I know nothing really is right now, but they don't appear really set up for that. But what is fun is that it's in the same parking lot as a Wendy's. So that was a pretty good stop for us, right? You can stop in there, grab yourself a Baconator and a six-pack and continue on your way. Um, no idea what the crossover traffic is like, but I can think of worse places in the world to be, uh, especially right there on Highway 7 coming through Perth. Um, you 
stop, grab yourself a couple of beers and something to eat and keep going. So uh, that's what we did. And uh, I really enjoyed this uh, mocha stout, obviously a strong coffee flavor to it. Uh, so yeah, we stopped and grabbed a bunch more to uh, to partake in through the holidays. So it's nothing new. Uh, we've had it before on the show, but uh, that's what I was in the mood for today on a Sunday afternoon as we put this one together. 5.5% uh, strong coffee flavor to it. Got that, obviously, that mocha flavor that's coming through loud and clear here. at 5.5%, something really nice to sip on while we just sort of circle back around and and talk about what's gone on here over the last little bit. Uh, as I said, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio. If you came across something throughout the holidays uh, that you enjoyed, maybe that you hadn't tried before, or that kind of re-inspired you, reinvigorated your craft beer, and that we'd love to hear about it, love to see what you guys were trying and what you thought, you can interact with us there at Tall Can Audio on social media, or always just at contact at tallcanaudio.com via email. That's the way you uh, you want to get in touch with us. Um, I hope you've enjoyed what we put out through the holidays. It was sort of a different strategy than we've employed in the past. And it was twofold or it was for a few reasons. And, uh, you know, if you missed it, Rob and I hit our annual World Junior Preview show on Christmas Eve. Uh, you can go back and check out episode 919 where Maddie Lang and I spoke about the demise of the World Juniors. It did not last long. The tournament was not successful. They weren't able to get through it uh, without incident there with, uh, with the pandemic. So it got shut down. But we didn't know that at the time. And that Christmas Eve show that Rob and I do is sort of a, a tradition. And people enjoy it. We get messages. Are you doing it this year? Yes, we're doing it this year. Like we, the, It's one of the big shows that we do every year on the podcast. So he was able to, uh, to do that. And then Chris Hoffley and Michaela Schreider were on on the following Monday. I believe that would be the 27th. And we did the Brew Marsh Awards, which have now become sort of an annual deal. Uh, we did it once a year ago. We thought it was fun. Got some cool feedback on it. People enjoyed it. So we thought we'd hit it again. And basically, it was uh, equal parts debating Canadian Athlete of the Year, but also Craft Brewery of the Year and Craft Beer of the Year did get some people saying, you know, there's craft beer outside of Ontario. I'm like, yeah, I'm aware of that. I haven't tried a lot of it. And so when we say craft beer of the year, I'm not trying to tell you I've tried every craft beer from across the globe. I'm trying to tell you this is the one I liked the most this year. I would have thought that would go without saying, but apparently not. Uh, we have listeners from across Canada and other parts of the world, and, and a few of you chose to be fairly... Uh, outspoken about the fact that it was all Ontario. Like We're based in Ontario. Uh, you want to send us beer, we'll happily try it. We've said that since day one. And uh, so that was a fun show with uh, with Michaela Schreider and, and Chris Hoffley. That was episode 918, I believe, on uh, Monday the 27th. And then Maddie Lang co-hosting the New Year's Eve show. Funny enough, it came out on New Year's Eve. And that was just sort of a look back at the world that was this year, both in and out of sports and things that we'll remember, things that we'll take away, things that were, uh, you know, notable this year. And I thought it went well. Some of it we were able to pre-record. Some of it we did much closer to live. Um, but the idea was to keep it fresh for you guys, something a little different with several personalities throughout the holiday, but also not to overtax uh, the people who give their time right to this podcast and 
you know, not to keep knocking on the same shoulder every three days throughout the holidays when people are trying to have their Christmas gatherings and their New Year's parties and this and that. So it kind of worked in both ways, right? We can get everyone in kind of as a thank you and an acknowledgement to everyone who gave their time to the podcast this year, but also to keep it fresh for you guys, those different voices and not overtax the people that we were going to uh, keep doing this. So I thought it worked out well. I thought it was a great way to have everyone be a part of this holiday stretch of the Tall Can Audio podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it too. Uh, and like I said, if you did, we'd love to get those star ratings and those reviews on Apple Podcasts or on uh, on Spotify. And one of the things that stands out to me and one of the reasons that I try so hard to do it that way is I see a lot of other podcasts hitting you with best ofs. And I hate that. I think it's lame as shit. It would be better... In my opinion, which is why you're here, presumably, all I have for you is an opinion. It would be better if you put out nothing. Best ofs are pompous and arrogant in the podcast space only. When TSN runs their top 10 plays of the year or your favorite radio station does, you know, their best of this or that, there's a reason Those are networks or stations that are on the air 24-7 and they want to give their people some time off and thus they need some programming. And on the other side of that coin, you as a fan can't easily just go find what you want. I really loved that thing Jay Onright did back in May. It's not on YouTube. I don't know where else to look. Like it's just gone. I get that. You do a best of. Here's the stuff you guys like the most. We got the most most social media feedback about. Whatever it might be. There's a reason to do it. It doesn't fit in the podcast world because you can find it whenever you want. Whether it be an episode of this show or an interview on somebody else's show, you just go, I remember that. And you just scroll through the feed and click it and listen to it whenever you want. Somebody uploading a best of podcast is just an upload. It's just a free episode. They did no extra work. They did nothing to contribute to it. And it was still readily available whenever you wanted to find it. There was no reason to do it other than for them to be able to say, we're providing you with new content when really they're providing you with old content. And it's so lame. Do something or don't. But if I enjoyed that thing you did back in September, as far as a podcast goes, I'll just scroll back a little bit and find it. Don't try and tell me you put out a new episode this week. So that's why it's you that's why you don't see that from us. And I know it probably sounds like I'm coming off a little pompous here. Fine. But hitting me with a best of from your podcast when I could easily just scroll back and get it makes no sense. A TV show, a whatever, where they go, here's the our best of this year does make sense because you can't readily lay hands on it yourself, and B, because they have to keep putting out stuff to keep the station running throughout the holidays while they give their people an extra day off. Don't do it on YouTube. Don't do it as a podcast. You're just uploading shit you uploaded four months ago, and it's lame. There's a little tirade on that. (laughs) But that's what we're doing here. Let's be real about it. Me just continuously sending you the same email I've sent you every week and pretending that it was something new, even though I just keep forwarding it and forwarding it and forwarding it and forwarding it, is not entertaining. It's not new. It's just lazy. As I said off the top, hope you all had a great holiday season. Um, ours was pretty good. 
honestly, uh, I, I did say on the New Year's Eve show there with Maddie Lang, we trimmed it way back, as everyone's sort of been forced to do. And honestly, it was a... It was never going to be huge, but we were going to do some stuff with some extended family and just decided, man, with the way things had gone and blown back up, we nipped all that in the bud and just kept it to the immediate family. And that sucks, but that's the world you live in right now. And, um, you know, it's sort of out of your control. And, you know, it was great. Lots of uh, pretty cool gifts back and forth. And, uh, you know, my parents do an amazing job with... uh, getting the house ready and and just the, the meals that we're able to have when we do get together and stuff like that it, it's incredible so i'm feeling pretty good feeling pretty refreshed um it was nice to be able to see everybody and that i did get to see and and on new year's eve we had a little outdoor uh campfire we have some more family that lives just a few doors down here from where the family cottage is and so you know we did gather on new year's eve outside and uh just had a fire did a countdown at about uh, 10 o'clock for the kids. Just sort of arbitrary out of nowhere so they could get that vibe and, uh, you know, not have to stay up to midnight. And I got to be honest with you, I was ready to kind of sneak away. You know, we've done the countdown. We've now had this thing and uh, the kids got to to do it. That was the whole point, right? Um, I was ready to sneak away. And unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, Stuck around to the bitter end and someone, I have no idea who was responsible to this, someone brought shots out right around midnight. And uh, I, I might have done one or two or uh, or three in about a 10-minute span. After, I, honestly, what I had thought, I had kept under control pretty well throughout New Year's Eve. Um, you know, it didn't start till later in the evening. Did have a few. But then uh, once the shots came out, that was it, and um, I got it. The my my New Year's Day was awful, and don't get me wrong, I I am the type of guy who can suffer from a hangover. Like some of you just brush it right off, some of you it cripples. I I would be closer to the second group, but not if I'm sort of under control or stick to kind of one lane and be like it's just rum tonight or it's just beer tonight or whatever it might be. I'll be okay the next. Day. I might not be great, but I'll be okay. And I really felt as midnight was approaching, I had done a very good job. I'd been responsible. I'd stayed in one lane. There hadn't been too much of anything. And then these goddamn shots came out and they were all sweet. Some of them are those pre-mixed LCBO bullshit. And the headache that I woke up with on New Year's Day was ungodly. And it has to be the shots. Like I... I'll admit to you, I, like I said, I, I can get hung over, nothing like that. Like this was all in my head and I, it leads me to believe it was the sugar in those three shots in 10 minutes at the very end of the night. And I was as grisly for the entire day on, uh, on New Year's Day, not in a good mood, not happy, not socializing a whole lot, um, sort of hiding out, watching whatever little sports I could find on my iPad. Uh, and yeah, the, the God love my my sister and my parents and um you know who had to entertain the young kids right like my niece and nephew had been around and i have no idea what time they got up it was long before i did uh so new year's eve was fun new year's day was not um one of the things i saw on twitter here this weekend it might have been on new year's day that i thought was interesting just in kind of wrapping up the holiday season part of this was this 
I, I'd never really given it any thought. This gift that used to be so common that is now almost completely vanished. And that was music. Like all through my teens and parts of my 20s, I would get um, different CDs for Christmas. And I certainly would give music as a gift. Um, to a lesser extent, DVDs and stuff, even though that medium has gone the same way. But when was the last time you got a CD for Christmas? I know some of you people who are into vinyl maybe still do this a little bit. But it was such a... The interesting thing about it was that it was an easy gift combined with a thoughtful gift all at once. And it's sort of been taken away because now we do everything either on Spotify or Apple Music, whatever your streaming service is, very rarely do you give or receive music as a gift anymore. And it was kind of a... I hadn't considered it in that vein. Obviously, I've noticed that we don't listen to music the same way anymore, but I'd never really thought about it as a gift thing. And there was never a Christmas or a birthday or whatever that went by once I had sort of established my taste in music that I wouldn't get a CD or two or whatever on Christmas or a birthday from family or friends. And vice versa, it was something fun to give. There was some thought that went into it, but it was not um, oppressively expensive. And even if you didn't know a ton, like I just know two or three bands that you like and I go into a record store, I can say to the guy, these are the three bands I know they like. Can you recommend anything similar or that they might have something new or something like that? And you could put some thought into it, but it was still convenient enough that as you were going through the mall, you could just hit up Sam's or HMV or whatever it was and someone would be able to help you. And it's kind of a shame to see how that's gone. And because it's so much less personal to send them a link, whether it's on YouTube, just, hey, check this out, or as a download. Like, I've bought, I bought you this album on iTunes. Like, even that doesn't happen very much anymore. They're, they're all subscription-based now. And I get it. Like, it's a more convenient world. I'm not shitting on the idea that we stream our music now. Like, even in terms of the environment, there's far less you know, CD cases flying around. And they remember they all came in those wrapped plastic shrink wrap thing that all of that ended up in landfills. So like there's positives to it, but it is sort of a bummer because I can remember like that being something fun that I know this friend or this family member was into this particular thing. And if I could find something they haven't heard before that's in the same vein or that's the same artist, I would feel really good about that. Right. And same when you would receive a gift, like this person clearly put a little thought, into this. Um, I can remember, uh, I have a cousin, he's about 10 years younger than me. And so when he's 13, 14, 15, something like that, you know, he's starting to play guitar and he's, he's trying to figure out what's his scene, right? He's listening to some different stuff and everybody at that age, you know, you're just sort of starting to find your musical, um, style or groove or whatever it's going to be. And he was over at my place and I hit him with this, um, five disc set and it was like the history of punk rock and it went from like the clash um the vandals you know and it, it moved its way up probably as far as maybe like screeching weasel and stuff like that like some mid 90s stuff maybe some early rancid um but it made its way kind of from the 60s up to the 90s and uh i gave him this and i just take that home with you and just try it on see if it fits right and um, I had no idea whether he'd be into it or, or he wouldn't. He thought it was awesome, 
right? And part of that is just the relationship that we had at the time. I'm 10 years older than him and, you know, he's trying to kind of feel his way out and now he's going to school with stuff that no one else has heard. And so there's a, you remember high school, right? Like that's how it is. Um, and he ends up getting really into punk rock and eventually falls way more into the scene than I ever was. Like he's now telling me about bands and things that I need to be checking out. And so several years later, because like I said, I'm 10 years older than him. So at the time, if I give it to him at 15, I'm 25. Several years later, as I'm turning 30 and he's kind of in his late teens, I think I made the mistake of telling him, if I'm not mistaken... And I wasn't even trying to like play it off like it was cool or like it was close to punk or anything like that. I think I just said in front of him, I kind of like that song, I'm Yours by Jason Mraz. And he was just disgusted. Like, oh, God, what, what's happened to you? Right? He was just apoplectic that someone that had once provided him a little musical guidance was now so far off the rails that he was embarrassed to even talk music with me at all at that point, which was hilarious. It was also embarrassing and, and shameful and whatever else, but it was fun to me that I had helped start him down a certain road and that he got that into it. And now I had veered off the, off the path. Um, but all of that stemmed from just a, the gift of, of, it wasn't even new. It wasn't his birthday. It wasn't anything. He was just over and like, what is this we're listening to? And I just gave it to him to so take that home with you. And, um, so not long after, uh, first of all, that day when he became so disgusted, I had told him I was getting into this band called the Gaslight Anthem. And I've talked about them on here before. They're not punk rock. They, they kind of were at the beginning, but it's closer to like an alternative rock. Um, and, uh, I told him I was into that and he wrote down three band names and he goes, take those home. I know you've aged out of the angry punk rock thing. Your poor sensitive ears can't handle it anymore. Like he's just piling on me. He goes, these will, one of these will speak to you at least. One of them I really didn't like. One of them I was sort of indifferent to, but the third was a band called the Menzingers who I now love. Right. And, um, I had never heard of them before, but they were sort of similar, but different to the gaslight anthem. But in that realm that he was able to pin down, he's like, all right, your aging heart will be able to handle this. And he was right. And I love them to this day. And to me, that's very cool that, you know, we sort of switched roles there. He was now, I was long since having lost touch with anything uh, that might have been considered hip. He's like, these guys are just breaking through in Pennsylvania. You're going to love them. Um, and he was right. And so we kind of had that relationship and that exchange. And at Christmas that year, he got me a DVD of the Gaslight Anthem live in London that I had never seen before. And so after everybody else left, I said, why don't you hang back? We were at my uh, my parents' place, the, the family cottage, and we'll go downstairs, we'll throw this on the big screen, have a couple of beers and watch this thing. And so he did, and um, he did not have a good next day. He may have still, like, he may have surpassed me in musical knowledge and, uh, you know, been able to now guide me to where my musical taste should go. He was not able to bark with the big dogs when I came to the the couple of beers we were going to have afterwards. And uh, he had a rough, a rough next day. So uh, I was able to at least still hold that over him. But uh, those sorts of things are gone, right? We don't do that anymore in terms of just this, this relationship built on, not built on. He's my cousin. I was always going to always love him. We were close when he was a kid, all these, but you know, 
he knew my taste, I knew his taste, and we were able to kind of trade things that way. And that's gone. Like it, it kind of stinks. Just be like, yeah, I bought you a three month subscription to Spotify and buy whatever you want with it, or download whatever you like. It's just one more thing that's sort of been shipped away, or or at least changed. And I thought it was an interesting thing that was noticed uh, online and had created a bit of a conversation. And thought we'd weigh in on here. I do wonder if we're going to head the same way on books. A lot of people swear up and down that the feeling of holding a book and reading it that way is still the only way to enjoy a book. And that's fine. I don't really have a strong opinion on that. There are a lot of other people who travel a lot or um, just the convenience of it, prefer to read them on Kindle, right? It's one device and it still sort of, I guess, feels like a book when you open it up, but it'll be whatever you want it to be that day. Whatever book you happen to read just appears there. But as far as giving a gift goes, it's a link. You send someone's email. Um, I have a friend of mine who travels all the time and she's into audiobooks. There's no way to hand deliver that, right? Or it just feels different when you're just like emailing someone a link and then they download it and enjoy it later. It sort of loses that personal touch of like, I saw this book. I thought of you. I knew you'd enjoy it. And so here, Merry Christmas or happy birthday or whatever it is. And I, I guess it's not really any less thoughtful because I still saw this. I still thought of you. And I also know that this is how you prefer to read it, whether it be in hard copy or in Kindle or in audiobook. There is that extra layer. Like I know you'd prefer to get it this way, but it just feels different when it's like a link in someone's email inbox that they'll get to when they get to it instead of something that you like exchange in person. I don't know. I've sort of gone off down the, the weeds here a little bit, but I did think it was an interesting thing just coming off of Christmas that music was an easy thing to give and books were an easy thing to give, uh, but also had some thought put into them, right? I know this is your scene. Okay, I know so-and-so really likes this band, but they haven't put out anything new in a while. Oh my God, there's a live performance from Tokyo or whatever that you just find at a record store. You're like, they're going to love this because I knew enough about them to know that that's their band. Now they've probably seen it on YouTube or whatever. It's it's just one of those things that's sort of disappeared from our, you know, current cultural lexicon. And uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a shame. Maybe it isn't. Maybe that's just growth. But it is different. And while I had noticed that we obviously enjoy our music in different ways now and get it in different places, I'd never really framed it up through the idea of gift giving, which is obviously on the table right now because of the holiday season. So... Interesting there. Uh, one of the other holiday traditions that did get fired back up this year was uh, the NHL's Winter Classic. Usually falls on New Year's Day. They have moved it in the past um, to January 2nd if they're trying to avoid, you know, college football bowl games or whatever. And actually often if it just involves Canadian teams. Uh, I can remember when I went to the Centennial Classic in Toronto there at BMO. Um they put that on January 1st and moved the Winter Classic to January 2nd, knowing that, you know, Canadians will watch it whenever the hell it comes on. Americans are probably going to watch football or whatever might be going on. Uh, this one went down in Minnesota. It was the Wild taking on the Blues. Uh, blues take it, yeah, I was going to say reasonably convincing, but um, Minnesota did make it interesting in the third. Jordan Cairo, obviously the standout star there, and I was actually surprised how long he'd been in the league, and I'll get to that in a second. But he had four goals, uh, four points, excuse me, two goals and two assists 
in the second period alone, which is a record for these outdoor games, whether it be winter classics or stadium series, when your hands are cold, when the puck's not great, these often turn out to be low scoring affairs. That was not the case at all. Uh, in Minnesota, it was minus 23 Celsius at the time of faceoff. I'm not sure why they didn't do this one during the day. Like often they end up dropping the puck at like one o'clock um, and it becomes an afternoon thing. I don't know why that that wasn't the case this time, but they were all week calling for it to be horrendously cold by the time they got to this thing and doing it at night was only going to make that worse. Uh, but Jordan Kyrie with a standout performance, the thing that stood out to me there, I was surprised how long he'd been in the league because as we're talking about uh, all kinds of Olympic stuff here, and we'll get to some of that in just a few minutes, Jordan Kyrou was on the shortlist to maybe go to the 2018 Olympics. If you recall, the NHL did not go to those games either, and Kyrou was a standout at the World Juniors. And there had been all sorts of talk, would you try and take some junior kids with some skill? Uh, because obviously whatever Team Canada was going to be, not being NHL players, you were going to lack some high-end talent, right? It was guys who were playing over in Europe, playing in the KHL. Maybe you could get a guy like Jordan Kyrou to kind of come and work your power play. And even if you didn't trust him to play regular top-line minutes, um, you could work him in and have him for those high-leverage moments. That, of course, was going to require all sorts of extra permissions from the Canadian Hockey League and junior hockey um, because their agreement really only states that they release their guys to go to world juniors and not the Olympics because the Olympics is normally NHL stars, but it just stood out to me as we're having these, um, conversations about what the Olympics are going to look like now without NHLers and Jordan Cairo is on one of the NHL's biggest stages, just torching the league and you go, man, he's been in the league for four freaking years. Like it, it just doesn't feel that way. I saw a ton of criticism for the way this was scheduled. And it wasn't even the evening puck drop, although that does come into it at some point. But people were mad that there were so many other games taking place at the same time. Marketing geniuses can't even give their big game its own stage. And I'm just sort of... Alan Walsh well-known player agent who, for whatever reason, um, loves to tweet whatever he thinks. He's the guy, if you recall, he's the agent for Marc-Andre Fleury. And when uh, the Vegas Golden Knights signed Robin Leonard, another goalie, to a big contract in Vegas, Alan Walsh tweets out this knife through Marc-Andre Fleury's back and through his heart. It was a little dramatic. It was a little over the top. He like, whatever. It's an agent standing up for his guy. He tweets all the time, ripping the league. And God love him for that. I got no beef with ripping Gary in the NHL whenever it makes sense. This didn't make sense. You can't sit there in a season where you're trying to get back on track, right? The schedule's been out of whack for two years now. Ever since the bubble in the summer, so you had to give everybody a couple extra weeks off, months off. The season then doesn't start till January, so the playoffs don't end till July. You shift it back again, but you've also negotiated with the players that they can go to the Olympics. So the the whole schedule has to be compressed, right? You're taking three weeks out of the middle of the hockey season. You got to make those games up somewhere. That combined with COVID 
meant games were going to be getting moved around. Games are going to be getting rescheduled. Teams test positive. They have to postpone shit. A guy like Alan Walsh is performing for you. And lots of people bit. Lots of people took the bait, followed along. Yeah, this is stupid. How come there's so many other games going on at the same time? Because shit's got to get played. Alan Walsh is also a guy who tweeted loudly and on any media that would take him. The NHL needs to let players go to the Olympics. Okay, it's a fair opinion. The players wanted to go. We'll get to that and just how bad in a minute. NHL players badly wanted to go to the Olympic Games. Alan Walsh is a player agent. He's going to trumpet for them. Got it. Fine. You cannot then turn around like a hypocritical dink and get mad at the league for having to made compromises in their schedule to allow for that very thing to happen. Yes, the Olympics and the NHL participation have now been called off because of COVID. But at the time the schedule was created, they assumed they were going. There was a three-week break in the schedule. You got to make those games up somewhere. You cannot, if you're going to be outspoken in favor of making sure the players get to go to the Olympics, you can't kick and scream to say, let them go, let them go, let them go. And then when the NHL says, fine, we'll let them go, and then has to make compromises in their schedule to make that happen, go, this schedule's stupid too. Smarten up. It's just attention-grabbing bullshit, and I can't believe how many people bite on this every time. Let the players go. Okay, we're going to let the players go, but it means we're going to have to play some extra games at times that aren't necessarily perfect. Yeah, fine, do it. Those games come around. Ah, I can't believe how dumb they are. Uh, uh, (laughs) What do you want? It's nonsense. And I don't know why people give this guy the time of day. And really, I don't expect the average fan to have all that on their mind at the same time. They go, this is weird. Why are there so many games at the same time of the Winter Classic? That's it's a reasonable thing to wonder. But there are reasons for it. And I can tell you for sure an NHL player agent like Alan Walsh knew that. But he still looked for the retweets anyway. Make sure you get that hot take in there. I'm with you fans. And you see the opposite take just as often. Because there's been plenty of days where the Winter Classic gets played at like 1 p.m. And then nothing happens the rest of the day. And you get fans pissed off. Why aren't there more games? The Winter Classic's been over since 4. Why can't I watch my team? Uh, You can't win. I'll happily kick dirt in Gary Bettman's face anytime it makes sense. This isn't one of those times. I just, I don't get it. It's a hot take culture, right? Got to get that big opinion out that's different from everybody else's, except it's not. It's the same as everyone else's, and it's lame, and it's wrong. If you're going to slice three weeks out of the middle of the schedule, you're going to have to play extra games at different times. Combine that with all the games that have been postponed. Yeah. A random-ass outdoor game. And who cares? Unless you're at it, these things aren't fun. Like, who really can't... We, hey, look, it's another NHL game in a football stadium. Seen it. Frankly, been to one. Been to two. Had a great time, but that's because I was there. 
I used to enjoy watching them on TV when the first few came out. The one in Edmonton, the very first one there, the Heritage Classic, awesome. Pittsburgh and Buffalo with, in the first Winter Classic, awesome. And there have been other ones that have been good too. But you've just run this idea into the goddamn ground so much that I don't care anymore. And pretending that the whole world was going to shut down to watch St. Louis Blues versus Minnesota Wild? Get out of here. This is something to tweet loudly while not actually caring. I can tell you, though, the temperature took note of that. And it was the fans who paid the price. And actually, probably the goalies. Um, the, the officials and the players, as they're skating around, blood's moving enough, you're fine, you're warm. And then when the players go off, the benches are heated, like those, those areas are being kept warm. The goalies, they're out there, it's cold. And the fans, it's cold. The one I went to in Toronto, the Centennial Classic... Um, I had a debate with my cousin who I went with, not the same cousin who had the punk rock, uh, slash beer conversation about there a few minutes ago. We went to the one in uh, Toronto where they hosted the Red Wings and I remember it being bitterly goddamn cold. He's like, Oh, I remember it being unseasonably warm. I'm like, there's a huge gap there. Like we don't remember this the same way at all. Uh, but after talking about it a little bit here around the fire on new year's Eve, it was very warm when we arrived, like weirdly warm to the point where you're like, I'm overdressed warm with a winter jacket and a sweater and whatever else. And the sun's beating down on BMO field. And the, while we're having a beer before going to our seats, it was warm. The game was actually delayed an hour because it was too nice out. I know that sounds ridiculous and it is. But the glare from the sun on the ice was too much. And the referee said, you're going to have to wait. We can't play with this much glare on the ice. So they were waiting for the sun to move off and, you know, into the be less directly over the rink. Um, so, yeah, they had a they had a weather delay because it was too nice out. But when you did wait and anyone who has ever seen like a Jays game back in the day down at exhibition or a TFC these days um, late in the season, the wind that whips off the lake through that wind tunnel of a stadium. Once the sun disappears, it's cold. But that was nothing compared to the one at the big house. Went down to uh, the Winter Classic when it was Leafs and Red Wings in Detroit. And uh, they set the record there. 105,000 people in that stadium. It was unbelievable. It was the middle of a blizzard. It snowed and snowed and snowed the entire time. And actually, Maddie Lang was there. Um, we were there with another friend there, Holly, and, and I think she'd gone to find the ladies' room, perhaps. We bought a couple beers and were heading for our seats when we first arrived, and the top of our beer had frozen over by the time we got there. It was unbelievably cold. Um, but this this one on uh, on New Year's Day this year in Minnesota set the record. It's now the coldest outdoor game in NHL history. It's the fans who pay the price, I can tell you. Because you got nowhere to go. You're just sitting there getting whatever the weather throws at you. And the players at least... Um, get to, to head to the heated bench every now and then. And uh, like so other than the goalies and, and I, I kind of liked uh, Cam Talbot for Minnesota. He had the toque over his, his mask kind of throwing it back like Jose Theodore in 2003 at the uh, heritage classic with the Oilers and the Habs there in Edmonton. Um, that was a cool look when he did it the first time. And so uh, shout out to, uh, to Cam Talbot for bringing that back. It was a cool look. As we move off of that, during the second intermission of the Leafs and Senators, and I'll have a few thoughts on that game a little later on in the podcast, we got the return of the uh, 32 Thoughts segment there, and it wasn't bad. Um, 
I didn't get as much as we were hoping to. Like, it is weird to think that we still have, like, more than half of the season to go, and we don't know the schedule for it at this point. Um, you just sort of know what your team's next game is, and we'll work from there. But one of the things that Elliot Friedman brought up, uh, as we sort of stay in the general area here of the Olympic Games, was how upset players were not to be going, which we knew they had been pushing hard for this. And look, I do often on this show and as recent as a couple of minutes ago, I will criticize Gary Bettman. I believe they were right this time to call off the Olympics. I believe they negotiated in good faith. He was very clear. The league didn't want to go. The owners didn't want to go. And why would they? They don't get paid for it. They just send their best players around the world to play for someone else. And then they absorb all the risk. Someone tests positive. Someone gets hurt. Uh, Back in 2014, John Tavares blows his knee out and misses the rest of the season for the New York Islanders. The Islanders get nothing for that. So he was still clear. We don't want to go. But we negotiated with the players that if it was possible, we would allow that to happen. And I believe they did. We did not hear them constantly chirping about how it was going to be bad, all any of these things. And really, it got like right up until that last week or two before Christmas when things had clearly exploded and they were postponing games left, right, and center. And they were up to like 40, 50, 60 games they were going to need to replay before they said, look, we need those three weeks now. And it made sense. And I think the players agree with that, mostly. That, okay, we get it. This has fallen apart. It's gotten way worse than anyone was hoping. Um, And it is what it is. But a lot of players weren't okay with that. And it seemed to be the taxi squad thing coming back in. If you haven't heard, you know, last year, every team was allowed to carry a taxi squad of five or six guys, a couple defensemen, a couple forwards and a goalie that, you know, when you had guys test positive, you could bring these guys onto your roster. Well, they started this season without it and then quickly had to move to it once Omicron here took uh, took hold. And Brad Marchand in particular from Bruins said, oh, okay. So I see when it means allowing your games to continue, you can have a taxi squad of guys to use when some of us are out sick, but you couldn't have a taxi squad of guys to use so some of us could go to the Olympics. And it was such a ridiculous comparison. Like, there's no doubt Brad Marchand was going to make Team Canada. But do you really expect that the Bruins should be fine with Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, Brad Marchand, uh, Charlie McAvoy, all leaving to go play for somebody else and just using guys off the taxi squad? Is that the same thing as going, shit, two of our... Top four guys are tested positive. We have no choice but to replace them. Should the Oilers have just brought in some fourth liners and AHL guys to play for them while McDavid and Dreisaitl and Darnell Nurse are all away at the Olympic Games? Like, you can look at any team you want. Are the Leafs going to bring up a bunch of Marlies while Tavares, Nylander, and Matthews, Marner are all gone to the Olympic Games? And who wants to watch that? If you're a Leaf season ticket holder, are you paying for that? So it's not the same thing at all to just say, oh, okay, you're willing to have a taxi squad for COVID, but you won't allow a taxi squad during the Olympics. It's not even close to the same damn thing. It was a ridiculous point he tried to make. But Elliot Friedman said that lots of guys, or some guys, I, I shouldn't say lots, but were trying to find any loophole they could. What if I retire 
go play for Canada and then unretire? Is my contract affected? Can I walk back in? Could I be put on waivers? Clear, go play and then come back. Like there was all kinds of questions being asked. Any possible way. Can I as an individual, even if the league isn't going, still go? Now, he didn't put any names to it. But if you remember in 2018, Ovechkin said, I don't care if the NHL goes, I'm going. I'm going to play for Russia. And Ted Leonsis, who owns the Washington Capitals, backed him up, said, if he wants to go, I'll support him. For everything he's done for this franchise, if he wants to play, I'm going to let him play. And it was bullshit. Um, Ted Leonsis knew, without question, the league was not going to allow it. They would sniff out all these loopholes. They would put a foot down on it. And they actually said to the IIHF, who oversees the Olympic tournament, if you allow any of our players to compete in your tournament, it will cost you big time on everything else you try and do with us down the road. So there was nowhere for him to go. Ovechkin can say all he wants. I want to go play. But if the IIHF won't let him, it doesn't matter. And Ted Leonsis gets to say to his big guy, to his captain, hey, man, we tried to let you. We, we were behind you. We wanted you to go play and be able to do this. In, meanwhile, he knows full well he was never going anywhere. So I might as well play the good guy here and support my superstar. But it is interesting to see for some of these guys how important it is. And it's, it, there's a bit of a generational thing happening. Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid skated together this summer. They wanted to get to know each other, their tendencies, and what it might be like to play together. I don't think, I mean, who knows? I don't think at the Olympics they were going to be on a line together. They do things very differently, right? You, you would see Crosby, as we have before, probably with like a Bergeron and a Marchand kind of thing. Guys who can go and, like a Kunitz did for him in Pittsburgh, or a Pascal Dupuis, Guys who can go into the corners and, and down on the board and play down low and, and kind of grind it out with him. That's the way Crosby likes to create his chances. McDavid's just flying. McDavid needs a, a Nathan McKinnon type. Maybe a Mitch Marner type. Like, we're not playing this along the wall. We're just going crazy here up the middle and see what happens. So I don't think you were going to see them play a ton together. I don't think they're going to be on the same line, but they were absolutely going to be on the number one power play together. There was going to be those sorts of opportunities, and it was important to them, clearly, to get to know each other a little bit first. And it's not that different than what a lot of people would tell you would be the best team Canada ever built was from that 1987 Canada Cup. I obviously don't remember it. I have seen the games since then. I don't know if it's the best team Canada ever. It might be. But everybody remembers Gretzky to Lemieux, the age difference there, and it was sort of this passing of the torch on that, uh, that game-winning goal. And I think a lot of people were hoping to see that this this McDavid to Crosby, vice versa, you know, generation. These guys get to play together because in four years, Sid's still going to be a good player. Is he still going to be a top player for Team Canada on the international level? I'm not so sure. It wasn't that different in the U.S. Austin Matthews has long said that one of his favorite players growing up is Patrick Kane. And they probably would have been two-thirds of Team USA's top line. Those guys want to play together. And American fans wanted to see it too. These sort of generational gaps um, close fast. 
And so I think that was one of the the, the huge disappointments. And they're going to rush. I, I do believe they're going to push hard to get a World Cup up and going. But at best, it's two years away, a year and a half, whatever. It, like, it'll probably be September of 2024, 23. I, what the hell do I know? 24 is probably when it should fall halfway between these Olympics and the next Olympics. But it's just not the same. It's in September. Guys aren't up to full speed. It doesn't have the prestige of an Olympics. But I do think they're going to push hard to get something done fast. Because these gaps are closing and these opportunities for this kind of group are closing. And I think it was important for Crosby and McDavid to do something together. I think it's important for Matthews and Kane to do something together. And there would be gaps or there would be opportunities like that. Um for every team, maybe Kaprizov and Ovechkin for the Russians. Like they want to have these opportunities and they want these moments that every other generation has had at one level or another. And this group's being robbed of it. And like I said, I do think this time the NHL did their absolute best and it was taken out of their hands with the resurgence of the virus. So I'm not blaming them, but I do think they're going to push hard to try and and make something happen here faster than they otherwise would have because people are calling out for some best-on-best best international hockey, and you're going to lose some big names. How many more big years does Ovechkin have left in them? How many more big years does Kane and Crosby have left in them? So we're going to see something happen here in the next year or two, I do believe. Uh, speaking of Ovechkin, just a quick thing here. I thought it was interesting um, as we went through... Fanatics has announced that their top-selling jersey of 2021 from the NHL was Alex Ovechkin. And maybe I shouldn't be surprised. Dude's still out there lighting it up like crazy. Um, But I was. When you look at uh, some of the new guys that have come into the league and taken it by storm, your McDavid's and your, uh, you know, McKinnon's and Matthews and all these guys, uh, Ovechkin, still number one. And... He has not slowed down at all. He was killing it in 2021 in that shorter season. He's actually better somehow again now in 21-22. And actually throwing a lot of assists, which is not normally his deal. But uh, I was surprised to see that in 2021, Alex Ovechkin was still the number one selling Fanatics jersey from uh, NHL shop. If you're curious who he's beaten out... uh, Inside the top five, Sidney Crosby at number 20, uh, Sidney Crosby at number two, which again, same reason as Ovechkin. You'd think like if you were wanting to buy an Ovechkin or a Crosby jersey, you've had lots of time to do it. That's the only reason that this still surprised me. They're still top end players. They're still fantastic, but they've been around for a bit. So normally somebody comes in, has a killer rookie year, and then they're killing again in their sophomore year. And everybody goes, yeah, this guy's for real. I'm buying that jersey. These guys have been around for 15 years. Um, So for Ovechkin and Crosby to be one, two. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly, I'm a little bit surprised. Number three, Marc-Andre Fleury. There's a lot going on there. There would have been still some Vegas fans buying that jersey. And then he moves to Chicago, an original six market, a huge city. He gets a boost there buying Blackhawks jerseys now with his name on it. Number four, Matthews. And number five, McDavid. Those are the names that I'm not surprised by. Uh, Honestly, maybe a little surprised that they aren't higher, but 
two of the top five players in the game that are still very young, both in Canadian markets where they buy up jerseys like crazy. Um, so not surprising at all that they're in the mix. Maybe a little surprised, honestly, yeah, that they fell behind those other names. Uh, something to be said for your legendary status. And if you're still out there doing it this deep into uh, into your career, I guess people still willing to buy it. I, I Like I said, though, it's just... It's just the fact that they've been around for so long that uh, I would have thought you'd you'd have exhausted the market, right? If people were looking for their OV jersey or their Crosby jersey, they probably picked it up by now, but apparently not. One and two again this year in the league. Uh, Let's jump ahead. I saved this to the end because uh, for those of you who aren't necessarily big uh, Leafs and Sens fans, you may or may not want to bow out here, but we'll talk about Saturday night's game. Uh, First one for the Senators in two weeks. First one for the Leafs in almost three weeks. Um... It was kind of a dud. 6 nothing Leafs. Happy with the result, obviously, if you're a Leaf fan like myself. But not particularly entertaining. I thought both teams looked pretty terrible in the first 10 minutes. Uh, not clicking much. The Sens didn't even have a shot on goal. I actually don't think they had an attempted shot on goal till 10.45 into the first period. Leafs had, had some opportunities, but yeah, kind of shanking shit all over the place. A couple of dud power plays. And then they sort of got it going. And it's funny, Brady Kachuk went over after Ottawa took two penalties that Sens fans would tell you were pretty weak and started telling the referees. And it was kind of animated. They showed it on the broadcast. He's kind of like, if that's the standard, that better be the standard all night. And fine, like that's not an unreasonable thing to say. But a few minutes later, Toronto takes a penalty and Toronto scores two shorthanded goals on that same power play. Uh, and you'd have to think Kachuk probably would go back to the refs and just say, please, all right, no more power plays. We're good. Um, but it was uh, Ilya Mikheyev, and good for him. Guys had a tough start. People are sort of down on him. Uh, I might be as well. That shortened, uh, not last year's shortened season, the one before that, God, these are getting crazy. His rookie year, I believe it was 2019, 2020. He was sort of off to a pretty good start, kind of a half a point a game guy up to Christmas. And when you can get that out of the KHL as a free agent signing, you're pretty happy, I think. And then he had that horrible injury right after Christmas. I think it was December 27th or 28th. And somebody's skate came up and sliced his wrist and it was gruesome. And there was a lot of blood. And when you slice tendons like that in your wrist... You wonder if the guy's ever going to be able to shoot the same again or play the same again and what that's going to mean. And let's be real, even while he was putting up all those points, it wasn't, he never had a bomb. Like people would, Leaf fans would laugh. Not that he wasn't a good player, he certainly is. But when he would come down the wing and wind up for the slap shot and it would be this kind of muffin into the goalie's chest and that'd be it. Um, And so you wonder if he's ever going to get that strength back. Well, by the time he's about ready to return that year is when COVID sets in, the league shuts down, and everyone disappears for a few months. They come back in the summer. The Leafs only have five games as they lose to Columbus in that play-in round. And you don't know what to make of Mikheyev at that point, right? Like, is it rust? Is it his wrist? Is it the team not playing well? Is it the fact that it's fucking August and everything is weird right now? I've said it a bunch of times on this show. I did not read anything good or bad into any team's performance in that bubble because it was just so weird. 
So we come back for 2021's shortened season, right? That's 56 games started in January, and he just wasn't that good. Like, he just he didn't have it going. There wasn't much offense there. He had like a thousand shorthand breakaways that he would flub. Like, his speed is there. His He's very good defensively, um, but he couldn't finish. And we saw it over and over and over. And I guess over the summer, he asked for a trade, and Duba said, no, like, we want you here. We think this is a good fit for you. We need you. Um, and so they were going to give him a chance this year, right or wrong. And I've had mixed thoughts on this to be more offensive. They were going to give him some power play time. They were going to move him up to maybe a second line with Tavares and Nylander and just give him an opportunity this year to see if he can get it done. And then we only get a couple games into the season. He breaks his thumb. I believe it's on the same hand as the wrist that he had broken. And so he's out a bunch. He comes back for one game. Then the Leafs are shut down for three weeks. And basically, I'm just sort of like, this guy's gone at the end of the year, whether it be as a free agent or back to Russia or whatever. He's just sort of cursed. Um, and I like the guy enough, right? Like, I, I do. I, I like what he brings to the PK and stuff. But he fancies himself more offensive than that. Like, I think they would be thrilled to keep running him out there on that third line with David Camp and Andre Kasha. He doesn't want to do that. He wants power play time. He wants to be an offensive guy. So maybe reasonably, some fans resent that a bit. And I kind of understand that, that like the coach wants you here and wants you to do this, but we're sort of giving you these other offensive opportunities just to show you, hey, see, we're on your side. We're trying. You do have to be open to that, but I don't think it can dictate the way this has gone, the way it has a little bit. So in this game, early on, like I said, in the first 10 or 15 minutes, the Leafs are getting all kinds of opportunities, and it's on the power play, and he's on that second power play unit. And every time the puck comes to him, he's shooting. And a lot of people are excited to see it, and I'm just not. Like, I'm kind of like, okay, I get it. Like, I see what you're trying to prove and what you're trying to do, but it's not working, and you're not the, sh- you're not the guy I want taking these shots. I do like him. I want him on the team, but not in that role. So then we get on to the penalty kill, where I do like him quite a bit, and he gets this partial break and scores and you're like, okay, cool. And uh, good for you. Like you're, you are happy to see the guy have a little bit of luck and he gets another one on the power play later in the third. So there he is. He's got a shorthand goal, a power play goal. And you know, whether that goes to his confidence, is it just one good night? Who knows? It might be, or is it him kind of refinding his game a little bit after getting some time to get fully healthy and healed back up and in the groove? I uh, We'll see, but I was happy to see it. We also saw Justin Hall score on that shorthanded uh, opportunity from that same power play. Uh, David Kampf to Justin Hall, and you're like, oh my God, neither one of these guys do I really want shooting the puck in this opportunity. But And Kampf, the whole time he's looking at Justin Hall, like everyone knew the pass was coming except Matt Murray, I guess. And uh, Justin Hall buries it. TJ Brody scores a wraparound backhand goal, which you never see, especially from a guy like that. Um, and then Willie gets two, and it's sort of a you're carried by your lesser lights, but that's all that it took. The Senators are down a few guys, both because of injury and because of COVID. And I just I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. I got people on in my Twitter getting all pissed off because well good for you you beat nobody I think we're gonna have to get used to that we're gonna see guys in and out of the lineup the rest of the year 
And so is hockey Twitter going to universally agree not to chirp each other because COVID? It seems unlikely. Um, the Sens were in a tough spot. That was not close to their best lineup. Their best lineup's not as good as Toronto's best lineup. It, it's just not. But this wasn't close to Ottawa's best lineup. And Matt Murray had a reasonable start to the game, but the one under his arm was kind of gross. Like he, he sort of faded towards the end. It was not a good game for Ottawa. They were flat and didn't play well. And Toronto was off too. Like I got Sens fans home. They haven't played in two weeks. Yeah, Toronto hasn't played in three. Who gives a shit? Everybody's, the season's messed up. And if we don't think that any of these count, like if that game last night isn't fair, because Toronto had more healthy guys than Ottawa did, which is a reasonable point, then let's just not play. Because for the rest of the year, I think this is going to happen. You're going to see guys missing, see teams missing their top guys. And if you believe that that's too compromised, and I have time for that argument, then don't play. But next time, it'll be your team that's healthy and mine that isn't or vice versa. And that's the world we live in right now. And so play and live with the results or don't and wait for things to be perfect. And I don't know when that's coming again. Uh, Jack Campbell gets the shutout, 23 saves. Since he's arrived in Toronto, he is 24-1 and at home with four shutouts and a 927 save percentage. Unbelievable. Um, I don't think any Leaf fan in their wildest dreams believe that's the guy you were getting. They were bringing in a backup for Freddie, and here he is. He has been absolutely stellar. Uh, not a whole lot else to say about that game. Brady Kachuk a couple times for Ottawa tried to get things going with a little bit of physical game, but the, he just had nobody following him, right? And they just took penalty after penalty after penalty. For five of the first six penalties were all to the Senators. Three of them were Zach Sanford. Uh, not a great night for him. You can't get going that way. And I understand that Sens fans were not happy with the way that game was officiated. I'm not happy with the way most games are officiated. But there was some undisciplined bullshit happening there, and the Sens just were flat. And I expect they'll be better in their next game, whenever that is. Um, but when you give up two shorthanded goals on the same power play, it's not your night. You know things are not going to go your way. And they didn't. So, uh, Leafs had the big four back rocking and rolling. The top line of Matthews and Marner, I thought was reasonably quiet. Tavares was okay. Nylander was pretty good. Like I said, a couple of goals there for him. And uh, that's really where you leave it. I was going to get into the Blue Jays a bit here. There's been some talk about the way the renovations to the Rogers Center are going to go. I think I'm going to save that for another day. This has been long enough uh, to hear just me droning on. We'll get somebody else on to talk about that with me. But essentially, the decision has been made not to move and not to build a new park. They're going to invest $250 million into the Sky Dome and uh, try and make that a, a more modern and baseball-friendly environment. It was built to be good for everything, but great for nothing, right? You could watch concerts. You could watch football. You could have conventions. The, you could have baseball, whatever it might be. Consequently, it's not perfect for anything. And anybody who's been there, if you sit outside the infield, kind of up the first or third baseline, the seats aren't tilted towards home plate the way they should be. So if you're kind of sitting anywhere outside of first base or third base, you're just sort of staring out into the field and you crank your neck the whole time. It's not the end of the world, but it's just not great, right? Like they're upgrading the sound system and the video scoreboards and stuff like they're doing their best, but that is not an easy building to take down 
it will take years and years and years and you're in the downtown core creating all sorts of noise and trucking it away. You're going to have to play somewhere else for several years. There's not really anywhere else to do that. And so we're short of leaving downtown. And if you're a Blue Jays fan at all or familiar with the Toronto downtown core, the Dome is in a fantastic location like that close to Union Station for the subway and the Via and the GO trains and all the business people who work down there who might have season tickets. Like you don't want to move to Downsview or wherever they might find another spot for you. That You lose something with the location. You might be able to build a nicer park and get into it right away, but you lose something in the location. Well, there is no possibility of starting to tear down the the Sky Dome the second that a season ends at the end of September and have something new built by the beginning of April on that spot. It's never going to happen. And they've just decided for now they don't have a better plan. So they're going to leave the Dome standing, try and retrofit the 100 level, make it more suitable for baseball, and and live with it for now for at least another 20 years or so. So that's going to be an interesting story to follow. We'll go more in depth on that here in the coming weeks because I'm I'm intrigued by it. Uh, maybe we'll try and get uh, Arden Zwelling back in here or Andrew Stoughton, one of our Blue Jay guys, to talk about what they think that's going to look like. But we'll leave it here for today. We will start to get back on our regular rotation here with a midweek show and a Monday show. Rob will be back, of course. But wanted to get something else out here just despite the fact that we had some... Uh, some technical difficulties, and there was some interesting notes there that I thought uh, were worth touching on. I hope everybody had an awesome holiday. I hope you enjoyed this. Like I said, if you did miss anything, most of it's still going to hold up pretty well. Um, our New Year's Eve show with Maddie Lang, just a general year in reviews, mainly non-sports, but also lots of sports. And we just had some fun stuff that we uh, we kicked around, kind of looking back, things that you'll carry with you out of 2021. And the Brew Marsh Awards with Michaela Schreider and Chris Hoffley. Just looking back at uh, the Canadian Athlete of the Year discussion for 2021, plus our favorite brewery and our favorite beer of the year. So lots of great stuff. I understand a lot of you will have missed some of that, not checking out your podcast during the holiday season. So if you have, you're looking for more, if you've missed something, you can go back at tallcanaudio.com or wherever you're listening right now on your podcast feed, uh, just the previous episodes there and just search for Tall Can Audio and make sure you're subscribed. Hit us up on social media at Tall Can Audio as well. My name's Matt Robinson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next time. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still come was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Ugh.